0: wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff
1: give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and i'm on board Mm.
0: can't go back. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello. Good evening. Welcome, listeners. I'm so pleased to have you here this evening. Normally, I record on Monday mornings, but because I have very, 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 very busy, busy people with me tonight, we are recording in the evening. So what we're going to be talking about tonight is something that I think all of you will relate to, and it's trauma. And the reason we're talking about it is because I found this amazing book, Post Traumatic Thriving by Dr. Randall Bell. And it's just been it's just been so inspiring and and eye opening. I've invited my friend Lila Tuler to be my co host this evening. Let's bring Lila on. Hey, there. Hello. Hey, Hi. both of us uh, have the book and we've both been reading it together. And went
2: backwards. <laughs> Do um, I need to flip
0: my It looks screen. good on my end. It looks good on oh, my end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's you're good. To me. So okay. one of the things I loved about the book, Lila, was um, the idea that there's no trauma Olympics. Your trauma does not discredit my trauma. There is no like, oh, I didn't have trauma because your trauma is better than my trauma. Right. Uh, that was one of the things I loved about the book is right. that pretty much if you've lived a life on this earth, you will experience trauma in some way or form. And um, so I love that. Was there anything that stood out to you?
2: Yeah, I really liked the experiences, like the individual Mm -hmm. uh, cases that he described, and each one was very different than the others. And yet they were all considered trauma, you know, and so like you said, there's not, um, you know, you don't have to have an extreme experience to qualify for trauma. If it feels traumatic to you, then it's trauma.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah I love the way he did that in the book um, listeners. What he did was he would, uh, he would give a concept and then he would explain the concept by giving real life experiences right. from people and friends that he knew, he knew that had given him, given him permission to share their stories. And then as each chapter would progress, he would show how these, particular people progressed and how they got through their different stages of grief. And so I want to talk a little bit about Dr. Bell. First of all, tell you all a little bit about him because you may you may have heard of him. He has a, the, the most fantastic nickname. They call him the Master of Disaster. Nice. <laughs> and you, you might think that that would be something that you wouldn't want to be called. But Dr. Bell is actually a sociologist and an economist who specializes in disaster recovery projects. And you might think, oh, a disaster. Okay, so that would be Hurricane Katrina. You're right. He was there. Uh, You might think it was uh, some kind of uh, another natural uh, calamity of some kind. But he actually goes to various kinds of disasters because it does affect, like Jean Benet, He was on the Jean-Benet Ramsey. I mean, I think that's fascinating. He is no stranger to how harsh the world is. And this is what gives him so much credit for this book. Dr. Bell has consulted in more tragedies around the world than anyone. He was retained for the World Trade Center, Flight 93, Sandy Hook, uh, the BP oil spill, Hurricane Katrina, the Bikini Atoll nuclear test sites, the Northridge earthquake, the O.J. Simpson case, Jean-Benet Ramsey, Heaven's Gate and hundreds of other cases. He has been retained by the federal governments of the United States, Canada and Australia to help resolve numerous crises and his work has generated billions of dollars to rebuild damaged communities. Dr. Bell's investigations have taken him to 50 states and seven continents And he has met countless victims, which has earned him the nickname Master of Disaster. Mm -hmm. So he's not a newbie to this area, very well qualified to write a book called Post Traumatic Thriving. And as I mentioned, he has he has gained such wonderful relationships with some of the people that have gone through all of these traumatic experiences that I just listed. Um, He especially talks about um, the O.J. Simpson, Nicole Simpson and her family. That's highlighted in the book. And um, so I just thought, you know what, Lila, you and I could talk about this book and how great it was, but let's just get the source. Let's just bring on Dr. Randy Bell and have him (laughs) use his own own knowledge and share his wisdom with us, right?
2: Yes. Bring him on.
1: All right. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Speaking of disasters, my lighting's a disaster, but... (laughs) So we, we
0: we tell the people, I promise he's not in a cave. He is not, you know, he's not underground hiding out. He's just in a hotel with really bad lighting. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I am. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, Renee, thank you for having me. And Lila, I got to say happy birthday.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you. Yes. Yeah, she's 29.
2: <laughs> no, because that would make me look really old.
0: say <laughs> <laughs> I just turned 75. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you look pretty good, good for 75,
1: hair. right?
0: <laughs> you both look not, great. Not, not far off, here. Well, you know, it's funny because my, my number five, uh, my number five is turning 40 tomorrow. And oh. so all of my children at this point are 40 and above. And I'm like, that is so amazing because I'm 40. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, that's so <laughs> <Yeah>. cool, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're all forty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you so, look great, Renee, for having all those kids over forty. My goodness. Oh my gosh, That's it's amazing. it's crazy to think about because I I remember turning forty, so it's like ah. So Randy, you are actually on a disaster. You're working right now, right?
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm working on an environmental case, and uh, I I can't talk about the cases sure. until they actually go to court and everything right. goes public, right? But um. Sure. This morning, I woke up, and when I was four or five years old, there was the race riots, which I recall vividly. I grew up reading the LA Times. I grew up in Southern California, and I realized that I'm literally down the street from the sites that I had read about in the paper. So I went and visited them this morning.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it honestly it brought back a lot of the childhood trauma of seeing the race riots evolve, you know, in, in my, you know, with the LA riots and here in Alabama. Um, and revisiting the ugliness of racism. So um, I have to practice what I preach with this whole trauma thing.
0: Wow, no kidding. I love that you, that was one of the things you had that you brought up in your book is that um, the way our minds work, the way our uh, physiology works, that even just witnessing something is traumatic. And like you say, even just being a child, having read these things and now seeing the actual places is a form of trauma, and I Talk about yes. that a little bit,
1: yeah. It, well, it sure is Renee, especially if we don't learn the skill sets of processing it because mm. I had the, this morning, I can speak uh, to it quite vividly because the flashbacks of what I went through as a little kid and for some reason after the LA riots, my dad put me in our VW bug and drove me into LA. We were 30 minutes away And took me through the building, through the neighborhoods while they were still smoldering from the fires. And I don't know to this day why he did that, but Mm -hmm. I just know that it was very, very impactful for me, for the life of me. I couldn't understand why people couldn't get along, why we just didn't love everyone. There was, I saw no reason not to. And I just always have thought that racism was so ugly Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's nice to know that our society's made some progress, but uh, we also have some more work to do, I think. Oh, my gosh. No kidding.
0: Well, I love that, you know, when, when people talk about trauma, they, they do, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, professionals have talked about the different stages of, of trauma. And most people start out with denial as the first stage. But in your case, you talked about shock actually yeah. being the first case.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So
0: talk a little bit more about that 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 you, it's the actual trauma itself that is the first part that you we deal with.
1: Yeah, you know, Elizabeth kubler ross has the five stages of grief, but I stuck the the shock trauma uh, stage of trauma as chapter one because everybody I've talked to on these disasters I work on talk about the shock of realizing something for the very first time or, Having their lives turn upside down, or you know that that message or that uh, phone call that a loved one was lost. Oh, you know, there's a whole array of of trauma, and there's a whole physiology that goes with that. And to really recover from trauma, it's very very therapeutic to understand how the brain is working, to realize what we're going through is very normal. It's it's nature's way of protecting us. Um, and and the whole shock thing is to um, preserve us, really keep us alive. But if we don't process it later and complete the trauma cycle, uh, we can have flashbacks uh, Mm -hmm. and relive that trauma as if it just happened to us. Uh, And that goes with firsthand trauma or secondhand trauma. It doesn't matter. So what what we've learned in science is that processing the physiology of it is really an essential number one type of thing.
0: Hmm. That's That's so amazing. And I I also love the way you pointed out that everyone handles trauma differently. And it's very important not to judge others for how they're handling a traumatic experience and um, versus how you think you would have handled it, or maybe how you did handle something that you perceived as traumatic.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, before I did the research, frankly, I did everything perfectly wrong. I mean, I... (laughs) I handled my own uh, personal traumas uh, exactly the wrong way. And and in dealing with others or thinking I'm helping with others, giving them anecdotal stupid advice uh, rather than just listening and not trying to fix things. Um, So I, I plead totally guilty to have gone through the first half of my life not knowing what I was doing because the skill sets not taught in schools. That's why it's so essential we learn it. Because like you said, Renee, everybody's been through stuff. Uh, It doesn't matter who you run into, particularly at my age. uh, Everybody's been through something.
0: Right, exactly. So Lila, when you were reading the book, um, did it kind of awaken something that you thought to yourself, I didn't think I'd ever really gone through any kind of trauma. But now after reading this, I'm kind of looking back not, not that, you know, we want to turn everybody into a bunch of like, I thought I had a great life and now (laughs) I read Randy's book and I'm so depressed. It's not like that. It's not like that. But I do think that, um, like you, Randy, growing up in a, in a certain type of environment with very, um, unemotional, people around me that everything was just uh let it roll off your back, get over it, type, you know, that's how i was raised, that even when i look back on on my traumatic experience, that is exactly how i handled it. Oh well, what are you going to do? You know, nothing i can do about it, just going to handle it. Let's just get going, you know. Um so what what did you th- did it bring up anything that you had recognized in your own life?
2: Yeah, i remember like maybe the well i've had i've had several, shall we say not true near-death experiences, but experiences where I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. And then I did have an actual near-death experience where I actually did die, but the ones prior to that were situations that I had put myself in um, where I thought I was going to die. And just the way that, you know, you either, you know, I think you either fight or you flee or you fight, right? It's one of those three things
0: I yes. think. Yeah. Freeze, fly, uh, f- yeah, right? flight, or, flight or freeze. freeze. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um, in in the first one, I was on a chairlift in, at Alta resort ski resort at the end of the day. And everyone had basically gone in and I decided I was going to take one more run. Hmm. And I, so I got on the lift and as I was, you know, halfway up the, the lift, it stopped. And I was the only one on the lift. Like there was no one on on it in front of me or behind me. And it just stopped. And a storm rolled in. I was up there for, I don't know how long, because I didn't have a watch on. But I was not dressed appropriately for what was about to come rolling in. And I was up there for a long time. And I nearly froze to death. And the only way I got down was there was a patrol, ski patrol Quite a ways away i saw him with a headlamp on his head coming down the hill and i took my pole you gotta mind you i'm shaking uncontrollably my teeth are chattering uncontrollably and i'm thinking i'm going to die mm-hmm. and it just kicked in i gotta make noise and so i started banging my pole on the metal and screaming at the top of my lungs and he stopped and he looked and then he waved his pole. I could barely see him. It was getting dark. And then he went to the bottom and I waited and waited. And then the lift started moving and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to live, you know? So anyway, I only share that because, um, for me, there was this feeling of, um, absolute terror that I was going to freeze to death up there on that lift. And um, I don't remember, you know, my life flashing before me or any of those things, but it was an, it, 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 traumatized me to the point that after that experience, I didn't want to get back up on a lift for a long time. It took
0: yeah. me I was going to ask you that if you yeah. if you've skied since. Well, yeah. I have,
2: I, yeah. I finally faced my fear and, and did it again, but that was very scary for me. And I thought, I, I don't want to get on one of those things again. I don't trust it. I, I you know, I could die up there. Yeah. So, um. You know, that was one experience where it, it kind of reminded me when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, yeah, there was that time. And it took a long time for me to get feeling back in my fingers and my nose and my toes and because um, I was so cold. Right. Right. So, anyway, I
0: yeah. wonder, Dr. Bell, I mean, when you have a, an experience like that where you kind of go into shock, even even afterwards like in the movies you know they'll show a horrible car accident or something like that the ambulance pulls up they wrap a blanket around you you're sitting in the back of the ambulance and you're like i'm good i'm good i'm all right oh it's yeah i it was i'm so glad i'm alive and i go home and you think Whew, that was you know so that you don't even recognize that you've just that you're in shock you don't even recognize that you're really? in shock or is that i mean is that, is that what you've heard
1: when shock, shock happened, uh, there's a whole there's a whole section. I, I don't know if that's going to yep. show up on the screen. Yeah, but uh, look yep. through the physiology of it here. But what what happens in in um, kind of straightforward terms is right now we're having a conversation. We're using the outer brain. It's it's the uh, prefrontal cor- or cortex, and that's the outer brain. It's called the human brain. And our emotions are in the midbrain. That's the uh, called the mammal brain. But the inner brain is called the reptilian brain. So when we experience shock, like Lila, when you were up on the chairlift and you're literally facing freezing to death, a very serious situation, um, you, what's, what's happening is that your body is literally shutting off the human brain and the emotional brain and going to the reptilian brain. It's just a matter of survival. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just raw instinct. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that in that mode, that's nature's way of just keeping you alive But once the event is over and you've you've fortunately been, uh, uh, you know, uh, rescued in effect, um, the memories reside in that inner reptilian brain. And that can be messed up because those memories can be very distorted. So Mm -hmm. the processes are to bring it back out to the human brain where we can logically and, uh, you know, work through it and bring it back to to normal memories. That way we can process it. does that
2: take do you feel like you need therapy to do that or is that something a person can do on their own somehow
1: Uh, trauma recovery is never a solo exercise you can't do any of this by yourself and that's why you know lila thanks for sharing that experience because you're you're modeling what we should do we should talk about it whether with with us or with a therapist or a friend. Ideally, it's a trauma therapist, which I am not, and I don't claim to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I am is I am a very good listener. I've, I've, because, uh, because of my licensing, I hear all kinds of confidential things all day long from clients, and I never tell anybody, and the stuff never ends up in the National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for that reason, I get told a lot of stuff. And what I do write, um, is I I don't offer anecdotal advice and I don't try and fix it and I don't try and go off the track and and pretend I'm a therapist when I'm not. But finding a therapist or at a minimum a friend or at a minimum, minimum journaling, those are all great ways to get it out and get the conversation going at some level.
0: That's really, I I like what you said in in the back of the book. um, You have a lot of different appendixes and, and one of them is what you should never say and what you should say. And the way uh, you know, avoid saying do not be silly or do not be so negative yeah. or do not be ungrateful. Uh, or here's my favorite. I hate this. Everything happens for a reason. I hate that. Yeah. I gave a whole talk at Sunstone on that topic. The
2: Did you? Ha- oh.
0: Yeah. Everything happens for a reason is I the don't most, like that either. It's the most confusing statement as if there were a chess player, uh, sitting up in the heavens or in the sky somewhere playing our playing with our lives just to see what we'll do. And I just don't understand why that gives people comfort that everything happens for a reason idea. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the trauma cycle, but they've taken it to a different, you know, instead of saying I've recovered from my traumatic, or I've, I went through the stages and I'm now, now I'm to my grateful stage. Um, doesn't mean that it happened for a reason, you know? Or the reason might be someone was driving drunk. Uh, you know, I guess yeah. that could be a reason. But <laughs> or get over it, uh, grow up, and stop living in the past. I think that's very common. Have you prayed about it? I love, I love that you put that in. Or when someone says, "I know how you feel," that's one of the things that you have. Um, and there's, there's more. Or it's all part of God's plan. Uh, it's all things not, like, not to say, right? Mm-hmm, these are all things not to say. Yeah, yeah don't uh, say these uh,
1: things. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was so long ago. Uh, think of all the people who have it worse. That's kind of what we were talking about when we were talking about the, the trauma Olympics, where people think that, you know, well, I didn't swim the Mekong Delta with my baby on my back. Therefore, I didn't really experience trauma because, you know, I didn't live through World War II. I didn't go through the Depression. So, wham, wham, stop, stop whining, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, and I, I think it's so much healthier to actually recognize your trauma. And because, as you say, I mean, if if she was just told to get over it, we're going skiing tomorrow. um, I I think it would have been worse. I mean, I can't imagine the fear that you would have if you would have had overbearing parents that said, oh, get over it, whatever. No big deal. We're going skiing tomorrow and grow up or something like that. You know, would have been horrible. Um, But so after you get through the shock. Why do we go into denial? Why is that like. Yeah. When you know that it happened, but yet, why do we? And I'm speaking from my own experience, and I think it's just a matter of maybe it is a matter of experience. But you know, when I had my my sixth child, I had five very healthy babies, very easy deliveries, very you know natural, no drugs, yada yada. And then I have my sixth one, emergency cesarean. I am hemorrhaging. Um, he is born with a birth defect, um, and I'm laying in the hospital. He's been transported to another hospital. And I'm kind of like, I remember saying to the doctors when I'd go up and visit him at Oregon Health Science, I would say to them, so what do you think? Maybe you think there might be like a learning disability from all this? And they would look at me like, do you not understand what's going on here? And I didn't because I don't have sick babies. I I don't have traumatic birth experiences. And even, even after we brought him home, I think I thought that his brain would heal and he would get better and he might be a little slow at reaching some of his milestones, but you know, it's, he's going to catch up and it's going to be fine. And, and maybe that's a survival. Is it a survival instinct, Randy, or?
1: Yeah, it kind of is. I think in evolution, what's happened is nature realizes we can only take so much uh, at a time. You know, Mm -hmm. the emotions can be very overwhelming and they can be very destructive. So we nature kind of doses us, to mm-hmm. and gets us to up to reality, but it doesn't do it immediately because it can be so overwhelming. That's uh, that's the best explanation of denial that I've heard, but that is clearly part of the trauma process. Mm-hmm.
0: And and as in all of the stages, there's danger of living in that stage for
1: too long. And... Well, you're you're right, but that it, it's it's kind of a a two way thing. One is it's totally normal. Shock mm-hmm. is totally normal. Denial is normal. Anger is normal just don't hurt anybody don't hurt anybody else Depression's normal they're mm-hmm. all normal mm-hmm. but you don't like you just said so well you don't want to get stuck there Mm-mm.
0: yeah and i i love i love in your in in your chapter uh under denial it says all recognize that profound positive and permanent transformations are possible in the aftermath of trauma and suffering all cultures universally admire those who overcome. Indeed, our very character is revealed in the way that we respond to challenges. Suffering involves coming to a new reality where we do not have all the answers. And maybe that's, maybe that's why we go into denial is because before I thought I was so smart. I mean, I, like I said, I have, I have my babies at a naturopath clinic. I don't have any drugs. I just pop out eight pound babies and I bring them home and, you know, and I just knew how to birth babies, you know? And so when this happens to me, I was like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. This doesn't happen to me. This, this is not how I do things. Um, so yeah, for a number of years, I was in a lot of
1: denial for sure. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Yeah. Um, it was very, very normal.
0: So when you were dealing with some of your cases, like I know you talk a lot about the O.J. Simpson and the, the the sisters, Tanya especially, you you highlight her in the book. And what were some of the examples that you gave of her denial or her shock or her anger that she went through and or some of the other sisters went through after they realized that, no, your sister has been murdered?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that was a fascinating situation because the Brown family lives, uh, they live, they've moved, but uh, very close to where I live right now. And th- the uh, they went through everything, the shock, the denial, the anger. And I remember one day I was at their home and Denise was, Denise is a really cool person. Uh, mm-hmm. You can hang out and talk to Denise forever. Uh, but she was, what the TV, you know, what we saw was her anger side. And for good reason, she had every right to be angry. And she, I happened to be there on a day where she was just really upset. And I have permission to to share this. I I asked her years ago if I could. And then, and the whole family was there. Um, And then me and I, I suddenly realized I was sitting in Nicole's chair. I was sitting in the empty chair. And that really made me feel... I, I don't know. I, I don't have the words, but I, Denise went very silent and then she kind of looked up at the sky and it was as if a light bulb went off and she had an epiphany and she says, I'm going to take all this rage. I'm going to educate women about domestic violence. Nobody talks about it. It's an ugly topic. Who wants to talk about this, this uh, really frankly, shitty topic. Mm-hmm. And she she started talking about her plan to get the experts that she was getting coming into contact with and and bring up this conversation of domestic violence and if you notice she did it i mean the whole the whole uh, all of society has changed from never talking about it not even knowing what it is and and frankly a lot of denial about it to Mm -hmm. now it's it's a conversation that, Mm -hmm. that society's having and and that was really remarkable to see that change come over her at that moment. Right.
0: And I love that you brought that up because when when I was reading that part of, of the book where you talked about using that rage, um, you had the other example of Debbie who's who had a landslide, destroyed their beautiful dream home. Her husband's business was in the home. Their life was completely just stopped right then. And the it took that feeling, that anger. To fight who they had to fight to get rep, you know, um, some kind of responsibility for for what had happened. It was the mm-hmm. city of Los Angeles that caused this earthquake or not earthquake landslide. Yeah. And if you and I remember, it it made me think about the times when I've um, cleaned my room, you know, closets, drawers, the whole bit, because my mom and I had had a fight and i was just so angry that i'm just cleaning my room and folding clothes and or even as a, as a wife and a mother you know there were times when you're just like doing the dishes and cleaning all this stuff because you're so angry but <laughs> man i got so much done today I and all of that <laughs> yeah sometimes i'm sitting around here and i'm thinking i need to get mad because i just can't get motivated to go clean bathrooms, you know, but I love what you said. I, I heard someone the other day on a podcast or something, and I, I thought maybe it was a quote from some, you know, very intellectual, lovely person, but I, I Googled it and I couldn't find it, but they said um, policies change when it gets personal. And have you ever heard that Randy policy? That's a new one.
1: I got to put that in the next edition of the book. Yeah.
0: And I love that. I wish I could remember who said that, but I thought, Oh Yeah. That's right, unless it hits you personally, you just think, oh, that's too bad, it's so sad for those people. I mean, I would have never gotten involved in United Cerebral Palsy, Um, I would have never gotten involved in autism um, if those things hadn't hit my life. And that's what you see, people have a heart attack, they get involved in the American Heart Association, they come down with breast cancer, they get involved in the Susan Coleman. You know, So that's what they do, that's where they start the thing. So as you say, Denise took that rage and that anger to fight spousal abuse or any kind of abuse, domestic abuse, and and so it's if people could understand that this rage could be turned into a good cause, I think that's a one of the one of the fascinating things on, in your book. Uh,
1: yeah, thanks. Uh, y- yeah, you're right. I mean, the the, t- the two big healers, the two big things, we, I call them the dynamic duo. Is one sitting in the fire that's having conversations mm-hmm. like we're having right now. I mean, who wants to sit around and talk about trauma, mm-hmm. but It's essential that we find somebody like we talked about. Sit in the fire, have those uncomfortable conversations. The other one is we call grounding. I I learned both of these uh, terms in San Quentin prison, where I volunteer. And
0: um, I'm glad you pointed that out. Not that I was there. I volunteer at San Quentin. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Not, Not time served. Yeah, that's that's a whole story in of itself how that, how that happened, but yeah. but but deep breathing exercises uh, is kind of a Buddhist thing, but we call it grounding in the prisons because some people think it's a religious thing and they have an aversion to to that conversation, and that's fine. So we we do sitting in the fire and grounding, and those two alone uh, are very very powerful.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, and and. Have you adopted anything like that, Lila, in your life? Any kind of breathing or meditation or grounding practices?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'm not a big meditator
0: mm-hmm.
2: because I think for me, um, I, do, I do stillness. I like to, to um, have quiet time mm-hmm. alone and I do that on a regular basis. So if that counts, um, I would say that's something that I definitely do. And most of the time it's when I'm walking
0: Mm -hmm.
2: or go for long walks and just not listen to anything or talk to anyone on the phone, you know, I'll just, just walk Mm -hmm. and think. Mm -hmm. And that helps me process things. It's my best. I tried other things. I tried, you know, I found that my mind would wander if I was trying too hard to make it not wander. Does that make sense? Right. I don't know. But right. so I may not be a very good candidate for explaining, you know how how beneficial that is. Um, but I do know that just being still and and walking or doing the dishes or the laundry folding or something,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I work well through my hands. So
0: that yeah. and that counts, right, Randy? I, I know I, listening to uh, secular Buddhism uh, that author, I can't, why can't I think of his name? No, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, he talked about that, that you don't have to sit in a Lotus pose. That doesn't work for everybody that sometimes you ha- people have to be active in some way, like maybe going for a walk or something yeah. like that. Um, but however you can figure it out. I like Randy, what you talked about, um, Mr. Fender, tell everybody what you talked about. how, what he, how he decided to find some grounding.
1: Uh, yeah, well, that definitely counts, Lila. Um, the uh, Leo Fender lived two streets from me. My dad worked for Fender Guitar. Leo Fender, for for the sake of uh, everybody listening, he invented the electric guitar, and uh, he's a very down to earth guy. He literally passed away getting ready for work in his eighties. But his practice was he would turn on turn on a very very hot bath, and he would sit in the bathtub for an hour before he went to work, and. You know, who knows what went through his mind uh, because he's very, very quiet. But that's a that's a you call it a grounding practice call it whatever you want. It's semantics. But having that daily quiet time, whatever that looks like is is there's a study. uh, Her name is um, uh, it will come to me, but she's out of Harvard University. She's done brain scans for years on people that, you know, pre grounding and post grounding. You can actually measure the gross in the healthy areas of the brain. Uh, so th- there's there's in- indisputable science. Uh, Sarah Lazar is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Lazar has published these studies to show that a grounding practice, by whatever you want to call it—yoga, lamas, meditation, deep breathing, that- walking—doesn't matter. Uh, resets the trauma cycle, and that's why it's so beneficial.
0: Mm, that's amazing that's one of the things that i do miss in arizona is the uh moving to a desert after living in the pacific northwest where you could literally go outside and sit stand in the grass or lay in the grass the cool earth um, mm-hmm. go outside even if it's rain well it's always rainy. and but you could you know when i really started getting into um more of the earth's you know nature's energy and things like that and i would love going out there and and then we moved to Arizona it's like. I don't have any grass and (laughs) there's scorpions out here and rattlesnakes i can't find that grounding but i love what you said because i'm a bath person i I have a beautiful walk-in shower it's never been used and and i just my thing is baths and just like you say sitting in that bath and and i it made me you know like you say the secular buddhism even just i've what i've done is when my can i can feel my body start to awaken in the mornings And I just lay there and let my body wake up and my thoughts start. And I have the best thoughts during that time before I finally open my eyes and go, all right, get out of bed. You got to go do something. And, you know, after reading more of this, I thought, hey, that counts. That's my meditation. Uh, I can check it off. All right. This is good, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that. So we've gone through shock and denial and anger. Um, I love the thing about anger is when you talk about things not to say um, you, I don't know if you mentioned this in your book, um, but you hear this, it's like, well, just get over it. Or um, well, you know, obviously you can leave it, but you can't leave it alone because you can't stop talking about it. And you're so angry now and you know, Oh, you weren't angry before, but now you're so angry, you know, but I think there's, people don't understand that even leaving, even like leaving a fundamental religion Um, is traumatic. And I always associated it with, like, finding out you were adopted. Like, if you've lived your (laughs) whole life, and all of a sudden, as an adult, your mom comes to you and says, you know, I should have told you, but actually you were adopted. That's traumatic. So to live a religion or to have a belief system that all of a sudden you don't believe in anymore and you find out that you think you've been fooled or the wool's been pulled over your eyes, it makes you mad. It's like, you know. And I don't have any traumatic experiences as far as the religion goes, besides just finding out. I believe that there isn't. There's a lot of manipulation, and and you you talk a lot about that in your book. You talk about uh, certain things that you should look for in any organization and how how they can be red flags for messing with your mind. Do you remember some of those things, Randy, that you talked about?
1: Uh, yeah. The yeah. There's. There's a lot there. I mean, first of all, abusers always want to be left alone. Uh, So that's my response to people saying that, you know, you leave, but you can't leave it alone. Uh, That's that's the case with any abuser. Once they're exposed, they want to be left alone. And uh, and if you're I have a I have a section, I don't think it's a chapter, but I have a section of my book and the title of it. If you're pissed, be pissed. I mean, it's totally normal. It's totally natural. It's totally healthy. Um, it had to be odd not to be angry. So, mm-hmm. uh, just don't hurt anybody and don't hurt yourself. And if it goes on too long, you know, seek some professional counseling, but, uh, mm-hmm. totally normal response. And, and, you know, there's another phrase I use throughout the whole book. It's rinse and repeat. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get to the more advanced stages and then some days after years, you go back and you spend a day being angry again or depressed again, again, totally normal where you kind of rinse and repeat you're looking at the overall trend, not not uh, a linear straight line. And exactly those thoughts that come to mind.
0: I like when you I I like that you pointed out that these aren't stages that you go through. Check check. I've gone through grief. In I'm order. done with that now. Yeah, and then yeah. You, yeah. yeah. That sometimes there might be you might wake up someday and you might be back in denial, or you wake up one day and you might be back in the anger or the depression stage where you just think, oh, I, I can't believe he's gone or can't believe they did that to me and maybe just having a bad day. But, but your point is, and this is what I loved about the whole book is not staying in any of these stages and working through the, the, and I love that you pointed out that you can't go from, from, let's say you've got the, you've got shock, denial, anger, bargaining and depression. You can't go from that to connection, forgiveness, resilience without doing the work. And I think that's good to know because we are kind of a fix it, immediate gratification type of a society. And um, so, and I love that you talked about connection. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, you know, you've got to um, find the right tribe. Uh, Having having friends that you can relate to is invaluable. Um, And and particularly when you go through, you know, a high demand religion type thing um, that can totally wipe out what you thought was a friendship base that's no longer there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so connection is essential to invest in relationships because they're, they're just invaluable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I still do. And I still will always do in terms of, you know, maintaining the friendships I have and building new friendships. uh, It's we're we're social creatures. We're not meant to live alone. Um, Yeah. And and I think that the science, all of this is science based. I I mean, in the back, I got zillions of references, but uh, there's a lot of science that backs that up.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's important is the idea that that you can do this on your own. And I like how you talked about having even if it's one person that you have confidence and, um, and that's not easy to find. You pointed that out, that being able to trust somebody with your trauma is uh, not an easy thing to find. Um, and I think that's why you do kind of search out a new tribe or a new community where you're safe, you feel safe in sharing. Um, I do think, tell me, I, I was going to ask you, because I know that one of the things you pointed out in your book was the beauty of the um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and number one that it it talks about a higher power and number two it's community and then you usually have some kind of a sponsor or one-on-one type person is there anything about i was going to ask you if you've dealt with the um the idea that alcoholism is a disease does that take responsibility out of the equation when you talk about um, denial or responsibility did you ever find that or how do you, how, what did you see when you attended those uh, alcoholics and AA meetings, how people handled the responsibility for their trauma?
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't pretend that I'm um, an expert in alcoholism, but I do have a close relative who is an alcoholic and mm-hmm. has been recovered for a number of years, which, and I have friends from high school that um, are, uh, recovered alcoholics, and I, one of my best friends is recovered alcoholics. So I've been to a number of meetings and I continue to go, uh, A, to just show support to them and B, I learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, so is it a disease? It seems like it is. A lot of people say that it is. Um, I do know that AA works where a lot of other things fail. I yeah. do know that there's a whole industry created over recovery where the recurrence rate or recidivism rate is, is off the charts. Where AA seems to seems to nail it pretty pretty well, but you know, I was just talking to a guy. He was he's a rock star, um, and and he's a he's got a program called Rock to Recovery, and he, it's a lot of AA stuff. It's, it's the formula they put together seems to really work for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that's, you know, you see the, um, like you say, the recovery places where these poor families have put their children in two or three times for some kind of drug rehabilitation. Um, and it doesn't work, it doesn't do any good. And and then when you get into a program like AA, and you see the um, codependency programs they have and everything else, and, and you see success, you see people that have changed their lives. So there is something. Right.
2: Something I have a very dear friend who is a recovered alcoholic. And I've been to several Mm -hmm. Al-Anon meetings myself. Um, And what I saw there was this great, um, like they have the support system, they have, you know, the personal, um, what do they, what do you call it? Sponsor. Mm -hmm. So you have your one-on-one, you have your group support. Mm -hmm. you have a regular meeting time. So everyone can, you know, you can continually come, you can choose every week, twice a week, four times a week, if you want, if you need it. Mm -hmm. And everyone gets to share. There's a a shared experience there. Everyone there is an alcoholic, most of them. And so they can, or a drug addicted person. So there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, they really do have a great system. And Um, and it does produce, um, results, not everyone, of course, but you know, a really good number of people actually do, um, recover for long periods of time, if not for the rest of their lives. So, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I know one of the things that I liked about the book, Randy is, um, you basically made it okay for all of us to be in some stage of recovery from a trauma, right? And that, you know, you can be in the anger stage for a while. And I think it's important that we all feel all those feelings, like allow yourself to feel them all because in the certain systems, uh, the church, okay, uh, that we all were once a member of, it was emphasized to just sort of, you know, be strong and get Mm -hmm. over it and have faith and you shouldn't have to be angry. You shouldn't, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't go through these things. Right. You would just put it all on God or the savior and be fine. And really we all need to go through these steps. We have to go through these, this post-traumatic, you know, um, process, process word. And, you know, I had a, a nephew who was uh, sexually molested by a neighbor for many years. Parents didn't know about it. When they did find out about it, the father was so distraught that this had happened under his watch. He gave the kid a blessing and said, you will be healed. You, you are healed from this. Mm-hmm. There will be no residual trauma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. By the priesthood, I am healing you. Yeah. And they never took him to counseling. He never, not a thing, was it ever spoken again. It was off the topic. Nobody could talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that kid has gone through drug addiction after addiction, after addiction, and he's never dealt with the trauma because of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: You can't just wish it away. Like you have to actually do the work.
0: You have to sit in the fire as Randy says, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. Well, right. Yeah, I want to give credit to the, the inmates that taught it to me, but yeah, I, I, I can't imagine what your nephew's uh, or re- uh, nephew. It wasn't, people. yeah, it was my nephew. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, you know, sexual abuse, child abuse uh, is a special category that is so devastating and, and yet it's so common. And the, the exact wrong way to do it is to try and bury it or cover it up. The right thing to do is call the authorities, get that person prosecuted yes. and be an advocate for that child. Um, so what the, the system that we grew up with, at least I did, was very much uh, dismiss it, hide it, cover it up. That is exactly the wrong way to handle it. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. yeah. You talked a lot about it, it, the it, specifically child abuse, and and you talked about the percentages of inmates in the prisons that you've done right, that you volunteer right. in, and how many of it can all be trailed back to some kind of uh, sexual or child abuse in some form, whether it's neglect or or something like that. And it's, it's so true. And there, I don't think if I wanted to get angry and, and, and get political, I, I probably the, the latest, the $2 billion suit that was just settled in California, I believe okay. for a young girl that had been abused by her stepfather. And, um, when they went to the church, it was exactly what you said, Lila, it was, uh, you don't want to bring shame on your family. You don't want to bring guilt in your family. Just don't say anything. You know, we can and or forgive the, the perpetrator, right? right? The forgiveness, and yeah. So, yeah. And they had the same thing in Arizona where they, you know, and the, and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has just won its Supreme court in Arizona lawsuit that they still have client privilege or clergy privileges and they don't have to report, uh, child abuse. And I just think that's, that's very telling and, you know, in, in my eyes, but yeah, you talk a lot about high demand groups causing trauma because, you know, people, uh, and you talked to specifically about, um, they look to their leaders for guidance in all areas and essence members have turned the keys of their inner voice and identity over to the group. And I think that's a very important you know, thing that you say there is turning over your, your values, your intrinsic feelings that you know something's not right, but you've turned it over to a higher a leader or something like that. And the danger that you'll find in something like that. And that's what happened. You, well, I, you know, turn, go talk to your uh, ecclesiastical leader because they, have more connection with God and they'll tell you what to do instead of trusting, trusting your gut. So that, that's amazing. Well, you, you end, you know, the last chapter of your books is on thriving and you offer solutions to traumatic trauma and you talk about faith. You talk about having a a faith in something and you you talk about either a God or, or some, some kind of universal spirit. So talk a little bit about that, that that's just part of, the best healing that you've seen.
1: Well, yeah, Chapter Eleven is about faith, and I try and wa- I try and be invite everybody to that conversation. Include one of my best friends, my best man, uh, is an atheist, and we were just hung out at the beach a couple weeks ago. I mean, I love the guy; he's one of the most kind, insightful, wickedly smart, wickedly successful. Um, Guys, I know, and uh, and so if if wherever anybody is on the spectrum of belief or disbelief isn't the issue. The issue is having a cause or some purpose greater than ourselves. There you go. If, if if we don't, then we're the biggest cause in our life, and that's that's not really a recipe for success, according to again all my observations, and more importantly, all the all the science out there. So finding a cause, a purpose bigger than ourselves. Um, when I go into San Quentin, it's a secular program. Some of the some of the finest volunteers there they're, they're the most effective and the most dedicated are atheists. Mm-hmm. So when I say faith, I'm using that term very very broadly. Mm-hmm. It's simply to say have a belief or a purpose in something greater than ourselves. That seems to be a common denominator. Who to everyone I've seen really deal with their trauma with some dignity and some class and some integrity. That seems to always be the case. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And I think that's so true. And people sometimes get the feelings uh, or the insight that they've had. They get that confused if they're in some kind of a religion or some kind of a system, I should say, not necessarily religion, but a system that has taken away your ability to use your own thinking. And so they'll say, well, I, I I had this experience and it was so visceral that I can't explain it. Therefore, it must be blah, 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 fill in the blanks. where turning it over to just a faith of some kind that there's something greater than you helps you to explain that and doesn't necessarily turn over your own critical thinking to a system of some kind. And because I've had wonderful experiences and and I love the fact that I feel like it was mine. It was my experience that I had. And I don't relate it to any outside um, explanation from someone else telling me why it happened or who it was that, you know, put that thought into my mind or something like that. Um, so I love that part. And then you go on to talk about connection and then you talk about forgiveness. And that's that's an interesting subject. I, I remember listening to there's a a very, uh, very popular um I believe he's a political figure, but he, he had a comment on forgiveness. And he said, um, he said, Christians get forgiveness all wrong. He said in the Jewish religion, he's, he's Jewish. He's in the Jewish religion. Um, you don't forgive someone unless they've asked you to forgive them. And they have acknowledged what they've done and asked you then. And even if they ask you, you don't have to accept it at that time. And I thought, Oh, I love that. That's way better. So, talk a little bit about how you talk about forgiveness in the book.
1: Well, the first the first thing I do, Renee, is I I dispel the myth, uh, the notion forgive and forget is some of the most stupid, uh, damaging advice. At least I've ever heard, <laughs> I, and I don't think I'm alone. So we got to dispel that. Who's going to forget? You know these horrible crimes and and abuses that that happen. That's absurd. Um, Forgiveness is more, the, the goal with trauma recovery isn't to forget about the trauma. I mean, Lila, you, you're not going to ever forget sitting on that uh, ch- that uh, chairlift, you know, worried about freezing to death, quite literally. That, that's a traumatic experience. So who's going to forget that? What, where you want to get mentally with forgiveness is to allow the memory to pass through our minds without the brain's amygdala. Uh, triggering you and and running through that whole trauma cycle and the nervousness and the high blood pressure uh, all over again as if the trauma is reoccurring when it's not. You want the memory to pass through harmlessly through our minds. That's the goal. And I I, I think I know you well enough, Lila, to, to and I I see it in your in your uh, face as you talk about it. That yeah, you're reliving a memory, but you're not. You know, you're not. Freaking out! You sound. You look like you've handled this in a in a very healthy way, where you can repeat the story without um, the whole trauma uh, trap. So that's the goal with with forgiveness: is to, of course, you remember it, but you don't let it take you down. Right.
0: Don't you
2: don't have that makes sense. I mean, I feel like remembering it is important, so that you don't allow it to happen again, or you don't. You know, it's like, what's the point of living? I was talking to a friend today about this. If we don't ever learn anything Mm -hmm. or change anything, what are we here for? What's Mm -hmm. the purpose of being on the planet if we aren't learning things from our experiences? And so, yeah, you remember them. Right. It's important to remember them. But it's what did you learn from that? Well, I learned to wear warmer clothes and to look <laughs> at the weather report and not go, you know, on the lift as the last person and make sure that it's not going to, you know, I'm not going to get stuck. Yeah. So like, those are the things you learn. And that's, I, I'm glad that I learned those things. And I haven't had that same ha- thing happen again because of that. So yeah, I think remembering can serve you well in your life right? And the choices yeah. you make from that point on. Don't allow yourself to be traumatized by the same type of person over and over, right? Yeah. As an example, I mean, that's... Yeah, I'm with
0: you. And you talked about that when going back to the Nicole Brown family and how they they learned, they learned going through the process and the sisters learned and their relationships that they had with, with uh, male partners after oh. that. And and uh, how they used the knowledge and the remembering of what happened to have their lives be better.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's they changed the, the whole, and they, and, they, and they funneled that energy. Because what happens, trauma creates an enormous amount of energy and the idea is to tap into that energy and do something really cool with it. Hmm. That's a really big principle of the whole book is, is recognizing that we're gonna tap into that energy and it, like you're doing this podcast, Renee, that's super cool. You know, I know I, I'm I I know you're helping people with with cha- you know channeling your energy into something super cool, and that's what we're all you know attempting to do is is to mm-hmm. tap into that energy for something that's good. Right. Exactly.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Well, everyone, Randy, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your wisdom. And I cannot talk about this book enough: uh, Post Traumatic Thriving and Um, we're going to let you go. I know you've got some other things you have to do because you're actually working. And (laughs) uh, so we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks. And happy birthday again, Lila. Thank you. Okay. Bye Randy. Oh my gosh. So yeah, this, this book is absolutely amazing. And what I love about it is it comes in audio and there's something about when you've got a good narrator it can mm-hmm. make or break an audiobook. Yeah, and really Randy narrates a little bit of this, and also he has another uh, person that uh, reads the book. and it's absolutely amazing. And I yeah. just love the ability, as you said, to me, uh, a great form of grounding, as Randy talks about, is going for a walk and listening to something like this. Yes. learning. And that to me is meditation. I, I find that much more. I um, love I love that. I yeah.
2: love the audiobook idea. I'm so glad that it's happened. Isn't yeah. it? Didn't we always wish someone would read the book to us? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's just, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. I
0: know. I want to call Todd Compton up. I think it's isn't Todd Compton, the author of Lonely, uh, Lon- Sacred Loneliness.
2: Sacred Lon- I say,
0: I will read it for free. Just please put it on audio because no, yeah, it's yeah. such a beautiful book and I just want to listen to it. But once I get in it, I, I do, it's, it's a page turner. It's hard to put down, but then if I do put it down for too long, then I, yeah. I, then I want it to be an track. audio. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for joining us this evening oh, on your pleasure. birthday for and inviting me. Yeah. So I, did you celebrate last weekend or are you going to celebrate this weekend or are you uh, just going to pass it over?
2: We were, we're my kids are going to take me to dinner a little later this week because we have a hard time getting everyone Yeah. together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, that's the plan. So I did yeah. have tonight free. So.
0: I know it's one of the things I want to tell all of you. If there's any young mothers listening, that um, be grateful. That's that's the thing that actually Randy ends on is gra- gratitude. That's the very last part that he talks about in the book, is be you know is being grateful and be grateful when your kids are young that you and you have control over keeping them all together and doing all those family. Because once they get older, yeah. the chance of getting all of them there. That's is so very hard. rare, and it's it's something that you know. If you want to give your mother something, everybody show up. It, that's all you have to do yeah. is be there, and it's yeah. very people. Yeah, have you don't lives. need a gift. Yep, those darn gift You know, those darn kids. They get their own lives, and I don't know why they think they can. Do that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So well, thank you for joining me and oh, helping was, me. And this is been wonderful. Thanks for
2: inviting me. It was really good. Brandy's a great friend. Yeah. Um, he's written a lot of other books too. So oh, he
0: has. I I also started reading his We Be. We be, I should bring it back Do on.
2: we be do, what
0: is me, it? Me, we, oh, Randy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is it?
2: Oh, you, there it <laughs> is. Yes. What is it? Me,
1: we do be. Yes. There you go. <laughs>
2: me, we do be. Okay. Yeah, I got
1: made fun of on national TV in Australia for that title. Oh, did you? Okay. What
2: did they say?
1: They were going uh, do be and doobie.
0: <laughs> we be <and, we, laughs> do do. <laughs> That's perfect. No, it's a, good one. Right. it's a good one. All right, you guys, I'll let you go for real now. Right. Okay, See you bye later. Bye, bye. Oh my gosh, you guys! I just, you know, I really think that you need to understand living. If you're if you're alive, you have have gone through some kind of trauma, and um, understanding the stages of grief and helping individuals navigate the stages of grief, or using your rage or your anger. Um, to force you to do some good. um, That's what it's all about. Using your experience to help others. And Randy highlights so many of these great people that have done exactly that. So if you need inspiration, if you need some ideas of how you can turn your trauma and your grief and your anger into good, then you definitely have to get this book and it'll give you some great ideas. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. Next week, I have a wonderful guest schedule. She was actually in a documentary that was filmed in Canada and uh, we're working out all the bugs right now, but she's gonna be my guest next Monday. So she's gonna have her story to tell. I hope that you have all decided what your story is and, and how you have decided to stand up, become visible, live your best life and live your purpose. So thanks for joining me tonight. Bye-bye. I think I can stop it because I ended the broadcast before I in, put my ending in there. Dang it. Oh. I was too quick to click. I also have a little thing that I was going to put on. So, Oh, well, next week I'll, i need, why don't I have a maven? I need a maven.
2: You do need a maven. Yes.
0: that's doing all this stuff for me. In Look fact, I
2: into the universe I know. You know I or India. maybe on your next podcast. Hey, anybody want to be my maven?
0: Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good idea. I, she, did you hear, she's serious about moving to India. Did really? you see her? Th- yeah.
2: No, I haven't. What is that? Something she just put out there?
0: Yeah, she was on Facebook, and she put something out there about. Does anybody know, you know, how to move to India or whatever? How to and, move to India? And somebody was like, oh, I know. You know, Martine. Martine gave her a friend or something that had lived there or lives there or something. And so I talked to her and and I said something like, uh, well, did you get moved out or where are you going? And she's like, India. And I was like, oh, you're serious? She really is. She really yeah. is. Wow. I can't, I can't, that would scare the daylights out. Yeah,
2: I, know. No. that's not a place on my uh, radar.
0: No, the, the poverty and the food and the water and the illness. Yeah. And yeah. I, oh, I, I think maybe Kentucky might be a little bit easier to, let's, <laughs> you know, I think she's looking for some place where she can live more economically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking there's gotta be a place in the yeah. US that's you know, a little bit more economic than, let's see, I've
2: heard Missouri is a cheap place to live.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I have a cousins.
2: economy like their housing is really inexpensive and everything like their taxes are low it's not necessarily a retirement place uh necessarily because i've heard florida and arizona are the top two
0: retirement states yeah it's a great place but it's financially it's gone cuckoo it used to be great now it's gone nuts arizona uh, uh-huh <sighs> yeah the housing prices have gone up here i mean we Dang. We could probably ask three times what we paid for this house and we've only lived here five years. It's wow. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, well, that's happened here too. Yeah. It's, You're it's never going to move. It's hell. crazy. We, in fact, we thought about it cause we, we live in a golf community mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a snobby air to this place. I, I don't mm-hmm. like it. And mm-hmm. we thought, well, let's go see what's out there. There might be a nice place where we could live that doesn't have a golf club and all right, this all that. Baggage. And So we went and looked and was like, Oh no, thank you. I guess we're yeah. going home. <laughs> we're just going yeah. to, you know, I don't know where I'm going to go. I have no idea. My
2: kids, this, this little home I live in, which is a tiny little place, but it's fine. There's just two of us. Um, It's owned by my kids. They bought it with the trust, the family trust, and they want to sell. So I'll be out and I don't know where, like I'm looking around thinking I can't afford any of these places. Yeah. Everything's tripled, quadrupled.
0: Well, yeah, not only that, but. You know, like I said, even apartments, even to rent. I know. Three, rent four, five thousand dollars a month for someone, yeah. no garage, the no. In place. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's it's gone through the roof. So I think I might have to cohabitate with someone who can pay. There you go. So my son is not paying. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, That's living yeah. with me. He's
0: not Well, anymore. you know, Sherry do lost her roommate. She might be willing to take somebody. <laughs> get to that. Anyone but her. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I,
2: I'm sure she's a lovely person. I just, yeah, exactly. I actually would rather have a, you know, like a boyfriend situation. That would be nice.
0: That would be nice. And
2: I do have a boyfriend and we um, have talked about it. We'll see. We'll
0: yeah. See. Go for it, girl. You have my permission thank you yeah (laughs) well happy birthday thank you for taking time out of your birthday day to help me with this absolutely it was enjoyable i love having somebody else to to bounce things off of and you know it's not just me rattling on so
2: well thank you for including me it's been very nice i don't i i don't say you know i hopefully i'm not saying more than you want me to say just tell me to shut up if i do that
0: no no it's absolutely perfect yeah (laughs) All right. Okay. Thanks we'll for see. We'll see, see you later. again. Bye-bye. Bye.